Welcome to The Leading Tone, a podcast that explores all aspects of all types of music. I'm Fernando. And I'm Alex, and welcome to The Leading Tone Podcast. Today, we're excited to bring you the second episode of our Hidden Gems series, where we highlight overlooked composers and their works. Our focus for this episode is on another French Romantic composer, César Franck and his Symphony in D minor. But before we get into that, let's guess that lick. Guess that lick or don't there's no prize. Welcome to Guess That Lick, our weekly quiz show that tests our musical memory. Each of us will bring an isolated excerpt of music, either from a recording or just a piano track recording, and the other co-host will have three listens to Guess That Lick. For a maximum of five points per episode, here is the scoring breakdown. You get one point for each of the following. Piece, movement, composer, time period, and genre. So today, for the first time, we actually have... I've brought an orchestral recording for Fernando to listen to. Different from the piano track. Maybe we'll give a little bit more context, but maybe won't. I think you'll really enjoy this one. So, without any further ado, are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. All right, let's take a listen. That was your first listen. All right, care to guess anything? No, I don't think I'll guess anything right now. It sounds so familiar. <laughs> uh, and it, that's it's really a nice section. But it's not, it, it doesn't feel like um like a principal theme. Like, it doesn't seem like it might be the, the primary theme, but it, it might be. Really? Okay. Well, yeah. are you ready for another listen then? Yeah, listen to it again. your second listen nothing comes to me immediately it's uh it's definitely past the classical period oh absolutely <laughs> by, by a bit yeah um, you, you you would be correct there yeah we'll start with the genre we got strings in there it seems to be orchestral is it from a symphony it is from a symphony. okay so that's the genre then what about the time period the time period is difficult because i mean i could i can imagine this being late romantic you would be correct there all right all right, what about a uh, composer? Do you need your last listen? Yeah, let's get the last listen for the composer. That's your third listen. Man. Right. What a nice section. I love this piece so much. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it really is nice. You said it doesn't sound like a principal theme. It is, in fact, a principal theme. Yeah, yeah. Upon further review, it does sound like that now. Yeah, it's definitely a principal theme, and it occurs a few times prominently throughout the movement that the, it's is featured in this in this work. And the second time it's repeated, I think it's the third time actually. The third time it's repeated is this big grandiose statement with some some brass punches and. It's being stated in the first trumpet part. Hmm. I have performed this work. Really? Yes. Interesting. Okay. Kind of points me in the right direction, I think, but I, I could be completely wrong. So what about a movement? Okay, a movement. Symphony? Okay, a movement. It's it's slower. 
but I don't know if it's slow enough to to be like the second movement of a traditional symphony type right. thing. Right. So you're um, thinking more uh this is more introductory maybe? Yeah. I'm thinking I'm thinking the first movement. You would be correct. Yeah. Okay. I think the composer is European. Um You would be correct. I think this is a composer I don't listen to a lot. I think this is a composer that you listen to a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You would be correct there. Yeah. All right. So late romantic. I have. Oh man, I have a couple of guesses. Well, who are you? Who are you narrowing it down to? I'll, I think I'll allow it. I'm curious to see okay. your thought process here. Okay. My first thought is uh, Dvorak. That's like one What's of my. What's your second thought? My other thoughts there. I was thinking that this is like a symphony by Tchaikovsky that I don't listen to a lot. It has that like Austrian, Hungarian, German. Right, so Sound. you're you're thinking it's it's somewhere in I that think, area. Yeah, I, I do think that. Okay, well. Oh, oh God, this could be Mahler as well, but it's I don't think it is because it doesn't sound like Mahler. But so your three concrete guesses <laughs> are Mahler, Dvorak, Dvorak, Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky. One of those is correct. So you got a one out of three yeah, shot. I do. Okay, well, all three of those people have symphonies, so that's yes. a good sign. Mm-hmm. And all three of them have multiple symphonies which is a bad thing for me because uh because i'll be guessing possibly out of 10 yeah i think this sounds most like dvorak so i'm gonna go with dvorak final answer okay and which symphony of his like i said i think this is a composer that you listen to more than i do so Mm -hmm. so i don't think uh so i couldn't i couldn't tell you for sure so dvorak wrote a total of nine right so so blind guess blind guess i'll go eight and you would be 100% correct. <laughs> so Fernando was able to muscle this one out. This is Dvorak's Eighth Symphony, the first movement. One of my favorite orchestral pieces of all time. The first that I ever, first full symphony that I ever performed as a trumpet player. So this one holds a special place in my heart. And also, you gotta love that string melody, right? Yeah, it is really beautiful. This is a great piece, but... <laughs> For some reason, I, it's got to be in your rotation. Yeah. You got to listen to this one I more. I, I haven't listened to this one in so long, but I'm glad I was able to logic my way through that. And that, yeah, that's a great skill because, quite frankly, if I had been in your shoes, I don't know if I would have been able to do it because uh, you you did a great job narrowing it down to what sounds you heard mm-hmm. in terms of region. So yeah, that really it, great guesses there. I could see how it could be Mahler or Tchaikovsky as well. Right. Yeah. And the, it, I think it was the string writing. It, it does. Yeah. It's and, different and a, a little, little bit. bit yeah, yeah. And a little bit with the, the rhythms too. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, I think, yeah, for some reason it just struck me as that like Eastern European. Yeah, absolutely. So a uh, great job, Fernando. So Fernando we reset the scoreboard at the beginning of each month. So for October, you are currently in the lead with five points. I have not guessed one yet, so right. I'm still behind mm-hmm. with zero. But all time, Fernando, you're looking at 15 points to my points. So we'll keep up with those all-time scores as well. Well, we hope you all had fun trying to guess that lick with us. Let's go ahead and move on to our next segment, What's new in music? Welcome 
welcome to What's New in Music, where we detail the latest happenings in the music world, from new albums in every genre to our own experiences and listening. Our headline today is this great release of eight songs from Isolation. This is actually commissioned and conducted by Oliver Zeffman, and it's video shot on iPhone. It's an opera, and the soloists are recorded at or near their homes, and the orchestra is recorded in the studio. It's only for streaming. There's no live performances of this, and it involves a lot of leading composers from today, including Thomas Adds, as well as uh, Nico Muli. So there's a, there's a lot of great variety in this, and it's just something cool. It's a cool performance outlet during this difficult time with the pandemic. Fernando, you want to talk about this a little bit? I know you did some research on this. Yeah, no, I think you got it all. It's just a really cool uh, opportunity uh, to see art that has been worked with from the circumstances that we've been limited to right. instead of, you know trying to shoehorn something in that is more of a traditional thing that we're used to. Exactly. They're doing the opposite and saying, hey, here's a new innovative way that we could be doing this thing. It's really great to see people work from uh, and find new things, new art from limitations like right. like this or in, in, in general, any limitations. That's how a lot of great composers wrote their music, right? 12-tone yeah. serialists, you're limiting mm -hmm. yourself to that in a way and other types of compositional methods right yeah creative solutions to complex problems exactly i yeah. like it this next one is another one that fernando is really really passionate about it's mxm tunes ep dusk the release just uh, uh last week actually and we did want to talk about the difference between an album versus an ep the ep actually stands for extended play and then the album or the LP stands for long play and the EP is shorter than an album so right and in this case MXM Tunes EP Dusk has seven tracks which is traditionally less than a full album which would be uh, more than that anyways the music of MXM Tune could be described as bedroom pop or uh, kind of like a folksy pop and right. uh, I really enjoy it. It's a really fun music that is uh, relaxing, but still groovy, catchy, yeah, uh, in just the right ways. And we've talked about recently how the bedroom pop genre has become more and more of a staple, especially amongst younger audiences. I feel like that it's one of the most commonly listened genres nowadays, and we've been getting into it more and more, and... Um, Fernando introduced me to this music just this last week, and I've enjoyed it a lot. So definitely a genre that is worth checking out. If you haven't already, you probably have. Right. And this EP, Dusk, actually pairs with one that was released earlier by her, uh, Dawn. Huh. So Dusk and Dawn go together, both released this year. Uh, highly recommend it, and check it out if you like. So Fernando, what else have you been listening to this week? Well, aside from that, I've been listening to uh, some stuff that's a little bit more obscure. Some stuff that we actually talked about in our last episode. Um, some Berio, Luciano <laughs> Berio, uh, his Sinfonia, Stravinsky's Pulsanella, and uh, some experimental music uh, in the classical field and then outside of it in the more like popular stuff that you'd find on Bandcamp, I guess. Yeah. Um, but still in the experimental genre. Yeah, that that's really, really cool. And it 
it relates really well to our episode this previous week. So I guess coming off of that, we both had kind of a modern itch. Yeah. Uh, I actually, well, I started with Vaughn Williams' uh, Fantasia on a Theme by Thomas Tallis and his Sea Symphony this week. I Most weeks go by and I probably have listened to Vaughn Williams that week. Then I started to get a little bit more modern. Actually, we both had been listening to music from Mr. Rogers as well as music from the recent film, uh, It's a Beautiful Day in a Neighborhood, based off of his life. And then Johnny Costa's album, who was the pianist on the Mr. Rogers show. So we both had been listening to that and having a lot of fun with that. It was funny because we both... uh, I, I was listening to it, and then the next day... I think you mentioned to me that you listened to it, and I was like, what? We both listened to this yesterday? Right, yeah, we were both shocked that we just happened to start listening to uh, the same music uh, on the same day out of coincidence. It was really funny that that worked out that way. It happens a lot, I feel like. It does, yeah, and just, you know, when there's good music out there that we both like, I think we usually end up in some kind of cycle, and we end up getting to the same point. (laughs) It's funny. Um, So some other symphonies I've been listening to are actually the symphonies of Arnold Bax, a British composer. I was introduced to his music over the summer when I was on a I was on a long English and British kick. And I really, really have enjoyed his symphonic writing in particular. He's written a lot of symphonies and symphonic poems, which is right up my alley. Also, I've been listening to Mahler's Ninth Symphony and Schoenberg's Five Orchestral Pieces. So, both of us have gotten pretty modern this week. Uh, different kinds of modern, mm-hmm. though. So, really, really fun and varied listening there, and we've been having a good time with it. So, that's our musical lives this week. Let's go ahead and move into today's topic. So, for today's topic, we're talking about... César Franck, a French Romantic composer. He was uh, alive from 1822 to 1890. Uh, And before we uh, get into listening to some of his music for today, uh, we have a special piece picked out. Uh, We just have a couple of facts for you. So Alex, go ahead and take it away with some of the facts. Yeah, so he's known as a Frenchman, but he actually had German and Belgian background in his family. He was born in Liege, which is now a part of Belgium, but is he's just generally kind of often lumped together with the French composers due to his time spent in Paris as well as um, he attended the Paris Conservatory and then later taught there. So definitely French in spirit, but I would say his music is actually surprisingly Germanic in a lot of ways, especially for the time and... You'll definitely hear some of it when we listen to some of his symphony in D minor and here in a second. So, like I said, he was a student at the Paris Conservatory. Uh, He also had a pretty extensive career as a professor and an organist. He was professor at the Paris Conservatory, uh, which actually forced him to become a French citizen because you had to be a French citizen to teach at the Paris Conservatory at the time. Now, let's take a listen to some of César Franck's music. This is his Symphony in D minor, the first movement, just a little bit of a taste here. 
you'll hear some of the eclecticism in terms of his influence that we'll talk about here in a minute. Let's take a listen. That was from the first movement of our hidden gem for today, Cesar Franck's Symphony in D minor. This is the first movement, the lento section. So this work in particular makes use of Franck's cyclical symphonic style, where a theme occurs in multiple movements to tie things together, similar to some other French symphonic composers like we listened to last week with Bizet, or was that two weeks ago with Bizet with his Roma. So this initial theme that you hear stated at the beginning of this excerpt is iterated upon in so many different ways. It's played slow, it's played in different rhythms, and it's also played uh, in completely different styles. But where it differs from a lot of other symphonic composers is that he brings it back throughout the work, not just in that movement. It's it's kind of rare, actually, in this point in the Romantic period for you to hear a theme carried over from movement to movement. Well, and where would you see that at this time? In a Wagner opera, right? Yes. And uh, I think we might have a little bit of that in store after this, but... Wagner uh, seemed to be quite an influence on Franck. Yeah, absolutely. He cited it as one of his biggest influences. Uh, Wagner and Liszt, who were kind of on that side of of that kind of romanticism. Right. There was the kind of war of romanticism where you had maybe Mendelssohn on one side and Brahms, and then you had Wagner and Liszt. Franck definitely gravitated towards Wagner and Liszt, but... I think that he had a much more unique and tuneful and fun spin than either of those two, which is why I think he's a good hidden gem for us to discuss today. Right, right. Falling into that new German school in a way. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got more listening from this first movement. We just could not decide which excerpts to play from this movement. So we actually have two more excerpts from this first movement we're going to play for you. The second one is about six minutes in. Let's take a listen. (laughs) ¶¶ 
That was another excerpt from Franck's Symphony in D minor, about six minutes into the first movement, and you start to get a little bit of the secondary themes being introduced. Uh, meanwhile, the primary themes are still very much there and very much repeated uh, in some way or another. Right, yeah, sometimes rhythmically and sometimes it's uh, maybe more of a harmonic function, but it's definitely there, and you could you could hear him developing that almost subliminally in the background while this new secondary theme is starting to bloom in the uh, that string arrival there. Really, really great composition there. So let's talk a little bit more about his influences, Franck's influences. He studied with the teacher Anton Rijka, who actually taught Hector Berlioz, Franz Liszt, and Charles Gounod. So Anton Rijka was actually friends with Haydn and studied with Salieri. So already we have this crazy lineage of composers that are feeding their knowledge, maybe a little bit subliminally, uh, to Franck here. It's interesting to me, at least, that amongst the French composers, uh, who he also taught, Berlioz and Gounod, those are also some of the composers, maybe Lalo as well, that, <laughs> are, uh, <laughs> that are dabbling in the symphonic form. Right, yeah, I... I can totally see that. And yeah, I think it's also interesting that Berlioz and Gounod are also kind of the more progressive composers of the time. Yeah. Comparatively to some other composers. Yet, I feel like they get a little bit more press in music history, maybe, than Franck does. Right. Yeah, they do. They definitely do. I think a lot of people are familiar with Berlioz and, and Liszt. Maybe not so much with Gounod, but yeah, definitely both of them have a lot... Uh, going for them and I think it's because they get lumped into that group with with Wagner right with right. the new German school and so people you know the the music history textbooks have to talk about them against Brahms and Mendelssohn and, exactly uh, Schumann yeah and so it, it's interesting there with um, his, his lineage and how he is kind of placed in music history because he's really kind of an outlier in a lot of ways in terms of his writing his nationality in his nationality yeah. as well yeah so while he's at the paris conservatory as a student he wins prizes for piano and counterpoint he actually prepares to enter the running for the prix de rome which is the foremost prize for music at the paris conservatory which we've talked about a few times with ravel and Bizet on the show before, but his father actually withdrew him from the conservatory. His father funded his studies, so when he tells you, you gotta leave, you gotta leave, and he has Franck focus on his career as a performer, as an organist, but then he comes back later and teaches at the Paris Conservatory, so... Right. Uh, he, he actually doesn't technically finish his time there. Right, but he still sticks around. So this Franck Symphony in D minor was written in 1888 and was premiered a year before his death in 1889 by the orchestra at the Paris Conservatory. Really one of his last great masterpieces, so you know it's among his most mature of his writing. Right, yeah, I was just thinking about that too. And Franck also lived uh, quite a long life. He lived, I think, into his 70s. Yeah, So, which is, for life expectancy at the time, that's crazy. Right, so <laughs> definitely 
some of his most mature writing. It has to be. Absolutely. So now we're going to take a listen. We're going to move on to... Uh, well, actually, we're going to stay in the first movement. We're going to play one last excerpt from it because we uh, this is the longest movement of this work, and we want to make sure that we're thorough and really selling you on this hidden gem of a symphony. This is still the first movement of his symphony in D minor. This is towards the end of the work. Let's take a listen. What a great and varied selection from the first movement of Franck's Symphony in D minor. It's really starting to show off how how much variety he really packs into just this first movement alone. Because you have this initial theme that's starting to come together with that secondary theme we talked about in these really, really interesting conversational ways. But... It's not at all one note. It starts to get a little bit faster. The rhythmic motor becomes more driving. And it's just like, wow, this is all in one movement, these three excerpts we've played? Crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. And it is 
really showing how Franck's music could be so diverse. I think a lot of people peg him for a much more peaceful composer, right? Uh, with some solo violin music or uh, or other things or of the organ sort. music too, right? Yeah, or yeah, or organ music. So this uh, gives a couple really driving moments, exciting moments that people can really latch onto and uh, and get excited about. I think a little bit more than maybe uh, you know, like his well-known violin sonata or his right. organ music. Yeah, it gets me excited, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so we were talking about how the the symphony in France is, in the eyes of music history, is kind of viewed as dead at this point, and really from this point on. You you have composers like Mio and a few, a few others that are dabbling with the symphony, but generally you're not hearing that talk to a lot about amongst musicologists and it's really that's quite disappointing because we think that the that a lot of these french symphonic composers are really quite creative right and you can hear that with franck here and then i think it only gets more creative with mio and mio gets even more experimental Mm-hmm. But the, this is a good balance between maybe the more experimental, something you'd hear from Liszt or Tchaikovsky versus something that gets a little bit more crazy harmonically. Yeah, and I mean, some of the symphonies or pseudo-symphonies from uh, from France around this time, either a little bit before or a little bit after, you've got Saint-Saëns. Uh, Oregon Symphony, his third symphony, um, that's the well-known one. That Yeah, that that's the people, most famous. Right, probably the, the most famous uh, f- symphony from France. Absolutely, yeah, uh, I would say so. Yeah, and then you also have another kind of lesser-known composer that's actually living at basically the exact same time as Franck, uh, Edward Lalo and his symphony in G minor. Uh, that's a personal favorite of mine. Again, it's around the same time period, and Lalo's a very similar composer yes we kept coming across a lot of similarities listening to their music back to back yeah and it's because he's similarly influenced by wagner and Liszt, and he also enjoys their music they're going on their own path away from the the more conservative german composers at the time and more conservative group of composers at the time so lalo is another person writing symphonies uh, at this time in France, and Berlioz with the kind of pseudo-symphony, uh, Symphony Fantastique. Yeah, very famous there. Yeah, is, very uh... well known, very much talked about. But yeah, like uh, like Alex said, the symphony did not last very long in France, nearly not at all. I mean, there are very few composers that are well known for having a, a symphony uh, from France. Absolutely, yeah. It's interesting how, in the eyes of history, this work is overlooked, but Generally, Franck was pretty well regarded in in that time period, and his work caught the eye of several other composers, including Meyerbeer, Liszt, Donizetti, Halevi, Chopin, Auber. All of these are pretty big names at the time, and uh, especially Meyerbeer and Liszt and Chopin. I mean, that's 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 pretty huge. Right. That's great company. Yeah, definitely. So now we're finally going to move on to the second movement of his symphony in D minor. We've got two excerpts to play you from this. The first one is from the beginning. Let's take a listen to the second movement of the Franck Symphony in D minor. 
That excerpt was from Movement 2 of Franck's Symphony in D minor, and I just love the way it starts with the pizzicato strings and the English horn solo. It is so delicate, but it's still so passionate in a way that it almost feels uh, like it could fit into Carmen, right? right. Bizet's Carmen. Uh, and you had brought that up uh, while we were listening to it. And I think it's really interesting because Franck is older than Bizet, but Bizet wrote Carmen before Franck wrote his symphony. Right, about 15 years before. Right, so maybe Franck does take that as an influence here, um, but maybe not. Yeah, which would mean that there is not only the... Uh the Bizet influence, but with Bizet comes that Italian influence that we talked about on our previous Hidden Gems episodes. So we're already like, this is such complex music, and you got to think that that Franck was just so original how he brought together all of these ideas. And you also hear those little quotes of that initial first theme mm-hmm. from the first movement it's still being used here. Very, very minor, but still being used here and another thing that i wanted to point out is compositionally it's very clear that he has influences from wagner and the new german school but i think even in the instrumentation of this work english horn in general i don't think that that would be a very traditional choice no mendelssohn or schumann or brahms would normally pick or really lean towards while i do think wagner would pick something that's a little bit more obscure of an instrument he's pushing the bounds of what the orchestra is right at the time so you got to think frank was like you know what i'm going to cash in on some of this Mm -hmm. maybe with the english horn here and it worked out gorgeously and i i love it so much what a gorgeous melody there he's also notable for his contribution to organ literature particularly but also contributed to the realm of symphonic and chamber repertoire as well. In 1858, he actually becomes the organist at the Basilica of St. Clotilde in Paris. So Franz Liszt and César Franck were actually very good friends and champions of one another's music. Liszt, when speaking of Franck's organ music, Liszt said... It is worthy of a place besides the masterpieces of Bach. Very bold statement there, but shows that Franck's music was well-respected by even one of the greatest, considered greatest composers of the, of the time. Right, and one of the best performers of the time as well. Right. So <laughs> that I think that does say a lot. Two great keyboard players, one piano and one organ, but they both had massive respect for each other. Um, And so while he was teaching at the Paris Conservatory, Franck was said to have taken as much inspiration from his students as he did from his own composition. So he would he'd hear some of his students ideas and their musings, and then he would maybe um, expand upon them and iterate upon them for his own composition. So he was using every opportunity to learn about composition, even from those that are younger than him. So I thought that was cool. And maybe that leads us to... So we're going to take another listen to another part of this second movement. This is a three-movement symphony. Uh, a little bit strange amongst the time where the four-movement symphony was most common. But the second movement kind of acts as what would normally be the second and third movement 
of a more typical four movement symphony, uh, a slower movement and maybe a scherzo type. And you're going to hear a little bit more of that scherzo type sound here in this next listening. So we're going to listen again to another section of the second movement of Franxiphony in D minor. Let's take a listen. was the second excerpt that we have from the second movement of Franck's symphony in D minor. Very romantic sounding, of course. And so he uses some of those original themes again uh, in quite clever way but this time in a little bit more of that scherzo kind of feel that you would hear from some other four movement symphonic composers at the time. Yeah, very, very romantic and just very cleverly written and cleverly done. I love how this excerpt ends and, and fades out with the callback to the uh, the first movement there. Really, really great writing here. Right, exactly. And I think you also start to feel, like you said, it's, it feels so romantic because it has this drive forwards and yes. this tension buildup and this big release, uh, but it's not in the traditional sense following a strict form or anything exactly it, it really flows and then there's a new a new theme stated yes right? and it all grows organically from the principal theme that was started, stated at the beginning of the first movement and uh is restated here uh over the anxiety inducing string section right um with the english horn exactly so and I think that organic is the perfect way of putting it for this piece because he's so organic in developing his ideas. It never feels cliched in any way. It's incredibly organic. And speaking of which, I think that this next theme that you're about to hear in the third movement is among the most organic and natural and catchy and great melodies ever written by a French composer 
we love it so much we find ourselves humming this one so this is the beginning of the third movement the final movement of Franck's symphony in d minor let's take a listen
This is the first excerpt that we're playing from the third and final movement of Franck's Symphony in D minor. So we drew two interesting conclusions from this listening, actually. And the first was the similarity to Beethoven's famous third symphony, his Eroica symphony, that introduction and how the melody is treated after that that driving introduction from the strings and the brass. And then you have just low strings with this gorgeous melody, which is the melody is quite on Beethoven, but the treatment is quite Beethoven, I think. Right. Meanwhile, the melody that you're talking about that doesn't fit for Beethoven, I think it really does fit for a composer like Debussy, right? Which, Where it has wow. this Right. It has <laughs> this very free-flowing, nonchalant, mellow sound uh, that you might hear somebody just humming through the park. So Absolutely. I think that carefree is definitely a word I'd use to describe that melody. It's just... It's so great, and I've been finding myself humming it constantly this week, and definitely among my favorites from this time period. It's so unlike a lot of these romantic melodies, so it feels like it's almost a melody from the future at this point, yeah. that, some, that uh, Frank pulled it from some un, some drafted Debussy work and just <laughs> plopped it right into his... But it fits so perfectly... And it's just so well done and so well treated. I cannot get enough of it. So before we uh, play you out and play our last excerpt of music for you today, uh, interesting fact about this, this work was not well received at all in its debut due to its eclecticism in style and that combination of the German and the French romanticism, which is what makes this piece so great for us. But I think that a lot of the critics were very far into the French realm where they're just like, oh, this just, this sounds like something that uh, Wagner or Liszt or um, uh, some combination of the two would do. I thought this quote was interesting. The quotes that the, the, the critics at the time called this work arid and drab music without grace or charm what are they talking about this is the most charming melody ever written here just in the in this opening part i love it so much and it's i think it's so graceful and then can get so stately at times and it's just it's just so charming i love right. it. right you're right and i think um i think it's because frank is writing the line between german and french romanticism where right it's not particularly a programmatic work in the style of Wagner, but it's also not uh, what Gounod is writing. Right. right. It gives you a very particular feeling, but without being assigned to something so cut and dry as the ring or the Valkyries or something. Right, exactly. So maybe that's why uh, they're seeing it as arid and drab, but uh, I know we definitely do not see it that way. Definitely not. I really think that this is such a hidden gem amongst the French romantic music. So this has been César Franck's Symphony in D minor. We're actually going to do something a bit different with the play out today. We're going to let you listen to this last bit of César Franck's Symphony in D minor as uh, we wrap things up here. But 
thank you guys so much for coming and listening to another episode of the Leading Tone Podcast. This kind of episode is so much fun for us, and we love highlighting music that is overlooked because that's kind of our goal with this podcast in a right, way. Right, contextualizing the musician, the composer, uh, and also highlighting some lesser-known works, lesser-known composers. We had a really great time, so I hope that you had a great time listening. We always really appreciate you listening. Uh, so with that being said, we're going to play you out with the last few minutes of Cesar Franck's Symphony in D Minor. Let's take a listen. Thanks for listening to the Leading Tone Podcast. You can email us at theleadingtonepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on social media at the Leading Tone Podcast with no spaces on Instagram and the Leading Tone Podcast on Facebook. Thanks again, and tune in next Monday for more of the Leading Tone Podcast.